so many different ideas about good health, how do you separate the myths from the facts? Welcome to Healthy View Radio with your trio of co-hosts, Andrea Beeman, Lisa Lutan, and Michelle Fennighouse. Today, you'll learn what it takes to be healthy and happy within a stressful world from three experts walking their talk. Here is Lisa, Andrea, and Michelle. Welcome to Healthy View Radio, the show that makes healthy living more fun. My name is Michelle Fenickhouse, and I am here with my esteemed colleagues and co-hosts, Andrea Beeman and Lisa Lutan. Say hello, ladies. Hello, everybody. (laughs) And today, my friends, we are getting down and dirty, and I couldn't be happier because this idea of over-sanitation has come up several times on past episodes of the show. Do you guys remember talking about this? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. What do you see as like the main problem when it comes to the culture we have of disinfecting and bleaching everything? I think that it's creating a lot of sickness, a lot of sickness. I um, I once had a client who had a baby and said, "I, I can't take the baby down into the subway. There's just too much too much stuff down in the subway. There's too much bacteria. There's a, there was a study that came out that the bubonic plague is in the subway. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, good. Then bring the baby down there because you're going to have a really strong, healthy, happy baby, right? So we need, our body needs to come in contact with bacteria, with dirt, especially dirt, <laughs> especially, right, in order to stay healthy. And luckily, well, there's plenty of that down in the subway. <laughs> <laughs> and I also, I also think it helps us develop a resilience. So now our body, if it's never exposed to any of this stuff, it's never going to build up, you know, the, the things it's going to need to fight it in the future. Yes. Do you remember the boy in the plastic bubble with John Travolta yeah. in the 70s? Not Michelle. She was <laughs> I've heard about it. <laughs> Yeah, yes, he had no thing. immune system and he had to stay inside a bubble and not have access to anything. That's right. And aren't we kind of just getting closer and closer to that anyway? You know, we're inside in the temperature controlled environment and now like no, no nuts anywhere, no tree nuts, no this, no that. You know, it's, it's important and it's with these kids in school right now, but like, God forbid, my kid accidentally brings a Larabar or something in his backpack to school. Shut down. That's crazy. Yeah, so I agree with you. These, this is a really important topic. I'm so glad that we're covering it. And one of my biggest pet peeves, because it just comes up everywhere, is that hand sanitizer stuff. <sighs> I can't stand that stuff. It gives me the willies. <laughs> it's, it's like so counterintuitive because it's at like the daycare when I pick up my kids, they have it. They have it at the grocery store where you get your cart. They have it at the doctor's office. So that would lead you to believe that it's very important for good health. And I will like leap across the room and knock my kid's hand away from underneath that thing because everyone else is telling them, use this, use this. And I'm like, just go wash your hands with soap and water. (laughs) There's only one time I will ever use Purell. And that is if I have to use a porta potty. (laughs) (laughs) Other than that, I will not touch that stuff. I feel like the porta potty, you know, the whole bit, there's no soap, there's no nothing. Like it just kind of grosses me out. I'll go, okay. 
maybe now Purell, but no other time ever. Right. And 2,700 people are waiting online for the same porta potty <laughs> and they just find <laughs> everything all over the floor. It's, that's a little gross. Yeah. Yeah. But that's it's gross. natural. Oh, it's natural. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I actually like roll around in it a little bit. It's good for the microbiome. Ooh, I don't know. What <laughs> <laughs> about you, Andrea? Will you uh, ever use Purell on your hands? No. No, I'm, I'm not a, an over-sanitizer person. I don't, uh, as a matter of fact, even when my, my fruits and vegetables come from the CSA, I rinse them. I do not soak them in vinegar. I give them a light washing. My mushrooms don't go in water. They get brushed. Yes, uh, yes, yes. You know, I, I actually know that it's really important to have dirt and to have the earth. And it's funny, like in the morning, we take our dog to Central Park. And, um, and I'm wearing sandals all the time. And Pablo, you know, he's always complaining that we walk through the grass in the morning with the morning dew on our feet. He's like, oh, wet feet. And I'm like, I'm like, yeah, we're in the grass. It's, it's part of it. It's part of being on the earth. It's okay to have wet feet. God's sakes. I got to share a funny story. When we, when my kids were little, we had this house where there was this pond nearby, but we called it a swamp because we literally had no idea what was growing in it. And my son would hang out all day long in the swamp. He put his waders on and like lived in the swamp and other kids would come over and go, where's the Nintendo? And I'm like, no, you're out in the swamp, you know? And he actually thanked me the other day for helping build up a strong immune system because like the kid is just like so comfortable in the dirt, so comfortable in nature. Nature. And it's amazing what it did for him in terms of that little swamp. So I'm, yeah. I'm very grateful for that dirt. Grateful yeah. for the swamp. I hear you. Yes. I have a memory of my son when he was like two or three years old at the park and it had been raining. There's mud everywhere. And he's just wearing his sandals going right through the mud. And it was just up to his <laughs> knee. And the other parents were walking through the park with their kids, nice and safe inside of a stroller, and looking at me like, oh, who does that? Like, how <laughs> horrible of a mother are you? But I thought, you know, you can wash shoes. It's not that big of a deal, right? Kids are supposed to get dirty. Yes, kids are supposed to get dirty. It builds their immune system. And what about us adults? Are we supposed to get dirty too? Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Just checking. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, that's a good question, right? What about adults? Do you guys get dirt on your bodies on a regular basis? <laughs> well, yesterday I happened to be in a river. I'm here in Idaho, which is not where I usually hang out. And um, I went fly fishing and I'm like an indoor person. I grew up in, you know, New York. <laughs> so I was like, okay, I'm going to get dirty. And, you know, I'm walking in the river and I'm getting covered in this crap. And I thought, yes, I'm doing myself good. So just, uh, just even thinking about this show already improved the quality of my life. Ah, good. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm a, a big fan of getting dirty, like literally going out into Central Park, playing with the dog. Uh, even you know, even before we had a dog, going hiking in the woods and not worrying about mud on my feet and all that stuff, you know, it's um, it's it's also very calming and soothing for the nervous system to actually connect with the earth. Oh, so <laughs> right? much, totally. Yeah. yeah, to make that contact both with our eyes and with our actual physical contact with the ground. Right now, do you ever worry about whatever's being sprayed on the lawn in Central Park? Yes, I do. So, um, 
when I see that the lawn doesn't have any weeds in it, I know that they're spraying. So there's lots of places in Central Park where there are weeds growing, and I know that they're not spraying there. But then when I see that pristine lawn that <laughs> has not a dandelion green in sight, right, a plantain leaf, nothing, just green, then I know that that's really not the best place for me to hang out. It's okay once in a while, you know, but it's definitely not the best place to hang out. Yeah, it's so sad because I remember a couple of years ago when my dog got cancer and I was talking to somebody about it and they said the dogs are playing in the grass and for all that grass that's getting treated with pesticides, the dogs are getting cancers of the mouth um, and all that. And it was so devastatingly sad. Yikes, that is bad. Well, when you guys come over to my house, you'll see that we have a very interesting lawn. It doesn't look anything like a golf course. It's got all the little plants and flowery things I remember from being a kid, you know, before everybody had a golf course for a lawn. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's what we have here. Yeah. And if you look at the lawn, right, and you have a uh, plantain growing there and you have dandelion growing there, that's nature's way of giving you exactly what you need, right? So in the springtime, everybody's like out with the, the little kill the weed thing, and they should actually be pulling the dandelion out of the ground, putting it, drying it, making a tea, whatever they need, but really using the stuff that's growing in the lawn naturally. Yes, that's a great, great point. Sometimes we do pull the dandelion and we'll, my son will eat it in a salad, which is pretty impressive for a little oh, kid. He's wow. a mom. Yeah. <laughs> but be careful and don't pull these, you know, anywhere else but at home because you don't know what kind of junk they're spraying around, et cetera. Right? Yeah. But we do that. Um, and actually, come, speaking of weeds, that's the first time that I really think I got dirty, like in recent history, because I'm not like a dirt girl. Like I'm kind of not. <laughs> It's not a dirty girl. No, like I'm not really like a go outside and garden kind of girl. But uh, we had a lot of weeds, like a crazy huge area in the front of our home that needed to be taken care of. And I got out there for a couple weekends and I, it felt so good. Man, is yanking those suckers out by the roots. <laughs> <laughs> Cathartic, you know? Yeah. And, you know, like um, for those of, of our listeners and viewers that don't like to go out into the dirt, you could get dirt slathered all over you at your favorite spa, right? Now we're talking. <laughs> a mud treatment, right? They're taking earth. They're taking clay, right? Slather it all over you for $300 or $400. Or you could go roll around in the grass in the back. <laughs> <laughs> and do it yourself. <laughs> so funny. Let's talk a little more about dirt, but specifically about soil. So if our soil is depleted of nutrients from poor farming practices, the food becomes less nutrient dense. Even our food needs good dirt, needs to roll around in good dirt. So what can we do about this problem? It's getting to be a bigger and bigger problem, I feel, every year. Yeah, so like, um, you know, there are farmers that are using sustainable practices and rotating their crops and, you know, like look at... um. Joel Salatin's farm model, right? He puts the chickens in the grass, the chickens poop in the grass, that's fertilizing. You know, they're running through, they're picking out all the bugs. It, you know, you have the ducks running through the different. So like there's ways to keep the, the soil fertile by rotating the crops, by not planting monocrops. My gosh, we are like monocrop world, which is ridiculous. Ridiculous. An entire field of corn for miles and miles and miles and miles. Nothing else and no bugs because they've all been killed. That's right. Yeah, I guess we got to start growing our own food, you know? 
get some chickens. I think our guest today is going to be talking about that. She's got her own chickens, even in New York City. Pablo wants to get chickens here in the apartment. I'm like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe like on the roof or something. I don't know. I want to find out where she stores her chickens. That's for sure. No, not in New York City. You can't in New York City. She's got chickens in New York City. We're going to find them out about those chickens. Urban chickens. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. That is a thing. Lisa, (laughs) you have some property. Do you grow? Do you garden anything? I'm also not too much of a dirty girl. (laughs) But I'm trying. I'm trying. But I do have a veggie garden. Um, I, you know, I grow mostly tomatoes and herbs and some vegetables. But um, I don't have any chickens. But there are a lot of people near me that do, For to be honest. Well, you're in Massachusetts, right? Or is it Boston or Massachusetts? Yeah, I'm in the Boston area. I'm in a suburb about 20 minutes outside of Boston. And it's there's like horses walking down the street and deer in the backyard and some other wildlife. Tons of turkeys like roam on my yard. It's bizarre. But um, yeah, so I have to have this giant fence around my veggie garden or it'll all get eaten. But it's the best feeling in the world, going out and picking something and then eat, putting it in your salad. Oh, my God. Nothing better. Yeah, just don't over-sanitize it. Don't spray it with chlorine. No, nothing. No, <laughs> nothing at all. That's awesome that you are growing some things. I'm so jealous. I just didn't ever learn. I didn't, it's like when someone doesn't grow up around cooking, they just don't have a feel for how to get in the kitchen and cook something. I well, just ask for help. Yeah, ask for help. I didn't know how to do it either. A gardening coach or something. Yeah. <laughs> have those. There are. They actually are people. But, you know, I just ask for help from people. And I'm not doing anything all that complicated. I did put in some beds, though, with a fence around it because I thought, you know, there are so many deer in our area. I have to protect it. But, you know, just doing simple things. And it's, it's a really very rewarding. Yeah. And I don't actually have access to a garden. I live in New York City apartment, right? So you see these little plants around me, that's, that's the garden inside. So I, part of my garden is um, uh, the CSA that I'm part of in upstate New York. So when that food comes in, it still has the dirt on it. <laughs> it's still, right? And then every year, twice a year, we go up to the farm, hang out with the family, have a big uh, uh, potluck, mm-hmm, right? Fun. Get to know your farmers. How are they uh, treating their soil? How are they rotating their crops? It's really a lot of fun. I want to get to know my farmers. Yes, you should get to know your farmers. <laughs> yeah. My farmer calls me. What? No way. If I haven't placed an order in a while, because I place really <laughs> big orders from this biodynamic farm in Pennsylvania, Amish farm, and he'll call me. And I'm like, oh, Aaron called again. You know? Wow. <laughs> That's where I get all, all my stuff. But same here. I do a CSA because I'm not a gardener. We do a CSA. You know what I, I do? did do a CSA, but it was like too many beets for a while. Like I was just getting beets and beets and beets. And I was like, I think I have enough beets. So. Well, actually, no. That was the perfect food for you because you have a tendency toward a liver blood deficiency, right? According to my face, you told me I do. <laughs> Beets are the perfect food for you. Oh, good to know. (laughs) Beets for days. Oh God. (laughs) I'm going back to the back to the CSA right away. (laughs) The next thing I need to learn how to do is compost. Mm, Me too. Do they pick up compost in New York City? Yeah, they pick it up down at the farmer's market. They pick it up at my CSA. Um, They pick it up at uh, the farmer's market on 81st Street. I mean, they do compost. Which is Maybe great. we should do a show on how to compost. That would be kind of cool. Yeah, And a permaculture show. Permaculture. Ooh, 
The ideas are flying. Write that stuff down, ladies. <laughs> I got it. I'm taking notes. <laughs> and a show on just beets. How hundred ways to eat beets. <laughs> beets for breakfast, beets for lunch. Yeah, no, those are all great topics. We could do a, a composting episode out in my backyard. Great. Awesome. So listen, since we're talking about the value of dirt and the outdoors today, it made me think of one of the funnier teas that I have inside my pantry, if tea could actually be funny. This one makes me giggle because it's called kukicha tea. Kukicha. Have you heard of that? It, you say it, kukicha? Kukicha. Oh, no, I've always said a kukicha. I was doing it wrong. <laughs> the kukaracha, the kukaracha. <laughs> well, regardless of how you pronounce it, yeah. I love it. It has such a nice roasty flavor, and I buy it from Mountain Rose Herbs. And all of our listeners can check out Mountain Rose Herbs' glorious catalog of teas at mountainroseherbs.com slash lowercase hvr for Healthy View Radio. But anyway, I think that this kukicha tea is so funny because it's basically a tea that's made with little sticks. Like the twigs. Told, little twigs. Yeah, they're the twigs of green tea leaves, right? Yes. If you told me I was going to be drinking that like 10 years ago, I would have laughed <laughs> in your face. <laughs> I think it's super tasty, has a super low caffeine content um, and that nice roasty flavor. So now we've told everybody to get dirty to go play in the mud, you know, eat a little dirt and make tea out of tiny sticks. <laughs> there you go. You can find all of Mountain Rose Herbs' beautiful tea selection at mountainroseherbs.com slash HVR. And coming up after the break, we'll be joined by Dr. Maya Shetreet-Klein. Dr. Maya is a neurologist, herbalist, urban farmer, owner of chickens, <laughs> and author of The Dirt Cure, Healthy Food, Healthy Gut, Happy Child, which has been translated into 10 languages. She's been featured in the New York Times, The Telegraph, NPR, Sky News, The Dr. Oz Show, and finally fulfilling her lifelong dream here on Healthy View Radio. <laughs> Dr. Maya is the founder of the Terrain Institute, where she teaches Terrain Medicine, Earth-Based Programs for Transformational Healing. She works and studies with indigenous communities and healers in Ecuador and is a lifelong student of ethnobotany. I don't know if I'm even pronouncing that correctly, so she'll have to tell us what that is. Plant healing and the sacred. And we'll be back with Dr. Maya after the break. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Are you sick of striving for a vision of healthy that just doesn't exist? Join the club. Expert health coaches Andrea Beeman, Michelle Fenighouse, and Lisa Lutan are more than just voices on the radio. They're here to help you make real change in real life. Join their Facebook community, HealthyViewRadio.com, to ask questions, get behind the scenes, and receive early access to special offers and events. Again, you can connect at HealthyViewRadio.com. Remember to subscribe to Healthy View Radio on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast. Do you ever have an off day? Or is your life positive and uplifting? Making Life Brighter is a forum for positive, inspired, and contemplative thought, showcasing experts in their fields, including authors, musicians, and artists. Your host, Winifred Adams, will bring to life topics to stimulate and make your life brighter. We want to hear from you. Be sure to tune in Thursdays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. 
Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. You're listening to Andrea Beeman, Lisa Lutan, and Michelle Fenighaus with Healthy View Radio. Do you have a question or comment for the show? Please call us right now at 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. Or send us an email from our Voice America radio page. You'll find connections to reach any of the hosts there. Now, back to Healthy View Radio. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Healthy View Radio. I am so excited to introduce our guest today, Dr. Maya Shetri-Klein. As Michelle said, she is a neurologist, herbalist, urban farmer, and author of The Dirt Cure, Healthy Food, Healthy Gut, Happy Child. And we are so excited to learn from her today. Dr. Maya, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Oh, we are so excited to get down and dirty today here with you. (laughs) So we start every guest with three questions just to get to know you a little bit better. And we'd like to know, what did you have for breakfast today? Um, I had eggs from my chickens with uh, actually vegetables that I grew in my garden, sauteed vegetables and uh, a little bit of grass-fed butter. We're going to come back to that chicken thing in a, in a little bit. Uh, <laughs> we have questions about that. But what is the one thing you do every day that has the greatest impact on your life? Um, going outside and being in nature every day. And what is your guilty pleasure? <laughs> um, <laughs> that was kind of an evil little laugh. <laughs> I'm, I'm just trying this. to decide which one I'm going to share. Um, you can name more than one. You can name a whole bunch. <laughs> I think. Okay, I'll say what my guilty pleasure is. It's kind of a new thing, but um, you know, all my life with my kids as a parent, and really even in growing up myself, I never thought like eating and TV mixed. And I'm not even a TV watcher at all. And um, I have now teenagers. My daughter's going to college and I have two boys who wanted to um, bond, like their way of bonding with me was to watch a show. And so we started to like periodically take dinner in front of the TV, which we never, I literally do not watch television. Um, But now I watch, you know, superhero show (laughs) on Netflix a couple (laughs) of times, two times a week with my, with my kids. And um, it's kind of like become a, a really special bonding ritual. We have a little picnic on the floor. um, And like, I never would have imagined that it would be kind of something that really enhanced like that family togetherness. But actually, it's been kind of an amazing fun thing that we do. Oh, I totally agree. The first show I ever watched was Gossip Girl when my daughter was yeah. in high school. <laughs> I was like, this is kind of fun, right? <laughs> I watched The Flash and The Arrow. Those are Ooh. those are my my boys show my boys shows. So <laughs> Wow, well that's fun. I like that. So before we really delve into dirt, we need to know about these chickens. <laughs> okay. 
Do uh-huh. you really have chickens in New York City? I do. I don't live in, you know, like the concrete jungle part of New York City. So I have a little green space. But, um, you know, it started out that I did this with um, a little green area behind my office um, because I lived in an apartment. And I did. I do want to say that I brought when they were chicks, they lived in my apartment for a brief period of time. And it was disgusting. Um, I mean, the beginning was cute until they turned into kind of adolescent chickens. And then it was like, you know, a very unpleasant experience for a couple of weeks till the coop was ready. But once they moved into the coop, I mean, it was amazing. And we had a, like a little, it wasn't a huge area, but they had their little place to forage. And then I moved um, to a place where I have green space where I live. And so, um, yeah, we have a chicken coop. They actually live in a nicer house than I do, I think. <laughs> it's kind of like kids, you know, that adolescent part just gets you a little kooky and they yeah, move right. off on their own. <laughs> it's true. It's true. All is good. <sighs> well, that's awesome. So I want to jump in and, you know, talk about what's going on with this, all these chronic health conditions that we're seeing in kids. I mean, we're seeing them in adults, but we're seeing them in kids too. And I know that this is an area of specialty for you. So tell us what's really going on. Um, I think there's a few different levels to it. I think one is, um, so one of the things that we really want to see in someone who's healthy and who doesn't, you know, can kind of avoid the issue of having chronic illness is resilience, right? So we want to see that like the stressor comes because they're going to get sick sometimes and they're going to be stressors sometimes. That's actually normal. And that's actually, we could even argue healthy, sort of working those muscles of recovery, right? So Um, what's happened is we've wanted to protect against stressors by staying too clean, um, by, you know, avoiding all infection by not getting out in the dirt and, you know, that kind of thing. And then on the other side of it, we've really reduced the kind of nutrient density that's sort of like money in the bank when those stressors come along. So all of the macro and micronutrients and the phytonutrients, all that stuff is basically like having a nice, you know, a nice big bank account that whenever the stressor comes along, it's there to kind of like help them through. So those are two big pieces, I think, Um, not getting enough small stressors along the way, and then not having the nutrient density to um, help them out when the stressors come. So what might be examples of these small stressors that you're talking about? Well, so there's this concept of hormesis. And hormesis is actually a scientific term that means Um, something that is a toxin, that a lot of that toxin might not be a good thing, but a little bit could be okay. So like fasting is an example of that, right? That a short fast, like intermittent fasting is now very in, not so much for children, but for adults, where you know, you might go a little longer before you eat, and that's actually kind of good for your body. But fasting for a month is probably not so good for your body, right? So it's an example of hormesis, a little bit might be okay. And so an example is like, being exposed to a like bacteria or, or different kinds of germs in small amounts is not so bad. You don't want overwhelming amounts of them in your body, but a little bit actually teaches your body and your immune system how to function better. Or eating a phytonutrient, like having even things like we don't think of, we think of vegetables and fruit as being super healthy, but those things that make cranberries red or grapes purple are actually part of the plant's immune system. They're small toxins. And so having that little tiny bit of a small toxin actually is what makes them healthy for us because they teach our cells, our mitochondria and our cells to function at a better level because of the stressor. 
So I don't know if you heard our, our intro, but I was talking about how my son used to play in the swamp outside of our house. Mm-hmm. Um, is that a good example of getting exposed to these bacteria? Absolutely. So I think what we don't realize is that our bodies, our immune systems, for one thing, really want, they're very social and they really want to meet and greet lots of different organisms and compounds and food and, you know, soil, all different things all the time. And the more that they do that, the healthier and more robust and friendlier they are. And what ends up happening when they don't have those kinds of exposures is that they become kind of paranoid. And then they attack a lot of things that probably don't even need to be attacked. And they also aren't strong or practiced, right? Because they haven't worked that muscle of kind of getting rid of the, the things that really do come their way that need to be gotten rid of. So going to a swamp or going in the dirt, going in the woods or having chickens or having a pet, all of those things are ways that you get exposed to lots of little organisms and and dirt and other things that you wouldn't normally be exposed to. And that is exactly what these small stressors are that make you stronger. So it seems like today, kids, little kids, especially, you know, they're so overscheduled going to this practice and that practice and that. Um, How can parents with young children work this into their kids' lives in a real practical way? Cut activities. Yeah. That's me clapping my hands for that. Yeah. So cut. I mean, we think more, we've gotten into this thing where we think more is more, you know, more homework is good. When, when teachers, teachers cannot cut homework for kids because parents complain. This is a real, a real phenomenon is that we think like the more they're scheduled, the more activities, the more homework, the more school, the more learning, the better kids are going to be. But If we really think about it, first of all, developmentally, that's probably not appropriate until maybe high school. Maybe that's like the time when kids can really take that on. But also historically and evolutionarily, like this isn't, this is a new thing. And really what we do know is that kids being out in nature, kids being out in green space, even if they're playing on highly natural playgrounds, they have better executive function. They have better focus, they have better attention, they have better cognition, they have better physical function, their test scores are better, they're more creative, they sleep better, they're happier. So basically, what we need to do is give kids free time out in nature. And a lot of the things that we're medicating for and we're stressing about and we think we're instilling in them are actually going to improve and we have to literally do nothing but hands off. Isn't that incredible? It just blows my mind that the answer to all our problems is to do less, you know, less complicated. Yeah, Michelle. Well, I was going to say it solves several problems at once because when the, and I have small kids, right? So when we're shuttling them from one practice to the next or to this, from one air conditioned establishment to another, that's a lot of work. And it's much easier for me to be in my kitchen cooking dinner and say, go outside and play or go do whatever you want. <laughs> so it's, what you're describing, Dr. Maya, actually really solves a lot of the problems for the children, but also for us overstressed parents. Yeah. Right. No, it's kind of a win-win. Totally. And let's talk yeah. about food because I think that, you know, we talk a lot about food and what do we do? I know we want to get back to natural, more healthy, real food eating. How do you deal with kids who are picky eaters? And, you know, parents are like, oh, here, have a chicken nugget or have your pasta with butter every night. Like, what do you, how do you advise parents on things like this? Um, well, I think that, you know, one thing that we've looked at in a lot of studies uh, is that kids really need a lot of exposures 
before they become accustomed to a food. So that can be actually upwards of 30 exposures. And so if you think about kids, right, because tastes are, some kids are really, there are a small percentage of kids who are those super tasters. And, you know, with them, it takes a lot of, um, I use a lot of umami with those kids. So like um, things like soy sauce or um, umeboshi plum vinegar or things that like actually, you know, a little bit of Parmesan cheese if they tolerate dairy well, um, tomato sauce or ketchup. Those are okay for me for those kids who have that super taster issue. But that's actually a small percentage. The vast majority of kids just need a lot of exposures and they need to know there's really not an alternative. Like, you know, there are kids who have breakfast cereal for dinner every night because like their parents say that that's an option, you know, and they don't have to eat what everyone else is eating. So for me, because I was just a busy parent and I guess some kind of mean, I just basically, <laughs> like, if I cook dinner, I was like, this is, this is what you're going to get. And um, and that's what they got. And they, you know, some, some nights they didn't like it so much. And I actually have a list in my book of kind of tips for how to get picky kids to eat because also parents like to project a lot. Like they're like, well, I wouldn't like that. I wouldn't eat that. So therefore, you know, I understand that they feel that way, but really what it comes down to is like, you make a meal, you make sure that, you know, and I tell them it's not always going to be your favorite, right? Like, Tonight's not your favorite. Maybe tomorrow will be your favorite, but you know, you have to eat anyway. And it usually works. Yeah. So you're not mean. You're really <laughs> fabulous. <laughs> when I was growing up, my mom would make dinner. And if you didn't eat the dinner that was made, you went to bed hungry. Mm-hmm. Right. So some people today would say, oh, that's so mean. But no, no, it taught us that the parents were the ones in control of the food you know, that they made the decisions and that the family had to come and sit down at the table and eat what the mother cooked and there was no other options. Goodbye, go to, good night, go to bed hungry. That's it. And, and I don't think, like I look at my parents now, maybe at that time I might've been like, you're so mean, you're horrible. But I'm like, it was so smart. Mm-hmm. It was so smart because my mom would say, if you don't like it, make your own dinner. And I only knew how to make one thing and that was a tuna fish sandwich. And so I had a tuna fish sandwich like literally for lunch and dinner for my entire childhood. You know? <laughs> That's what happened. I know. I, so I wish they had forced me to eat those like frozen little cubed vegetables that were out at the time. <laughs> so anyway, Dr. Maya, there's so much other stuff out there, you know, in terms of we were talking about hand sanitizer and bleach and um, fluoride in our water and we're popping Advil and Tylenol. Like what is this doing to our children's health? I mean, I think there's a lot of, there are a lot of layers in there because you brought up a lot of different things, but um, really what it comes down to, to a great extent is that we've really, we really want to fix everything and we don't really have a lot of faith in the body's ability to do that. But um, actually the body is good at it when we, including kids' bodies, but they just kind of need to be supported and allowed, right? Like if you want your kid to learn the violin, you're not going to like slap their hand away every time they go to play the violin. You're not going to bring someone else in to practice the violin for them because then when the concert comes, it's not going to be very impressive. So what we have to do is we have to really like allow exposures, right? And not kind of over sanitize them with all the hand sanitizer and the bleach. And there's actually data that shows that um, using bleach regularly, it leads to more respiratory infections in children and not the other way around. So we're actually kind of shooting ourselves in the foot 
um, because what we think we're doing to help is, is not always that helpful. So what are the worst products that we might have in our home? <laughs> well, how about instead we say what the best things to do are, which is like <laughs> use a bar of soap. Um, okay, so I don't use, I avoid most liquid soaps unless they're the natural ones. And there's a few brands that are good. But like if they have any chemicals in them, it's sort of best to avoid. I th- I'm a big fan of using a bar of soap. I actually think a bar of soap takes you a long, long way. I think um, bleach is like maybe great if someone has like gastroenteritis and they've thrown up all over the toilet. But like, <laughs> other than that, like, you basically, you know, can use more natural cleaners. And there's a lot of great brands out there. Like really just, again, like less is more, you don't have to be aggressive to clean things. I don't use hand sanitizer at all. I recommend actually, if you're out on the subway, I heard the conversation about the subway. I mean, I think like, you know, using a little essential oil is actually great. And there's very interesting and good data from actually surgeons and wound infections that shows that um, essential oils, almost all essential oils they tested have antimicrobial properties that are effective for any of the things that we are being exposed to, basically. It's being, it's being used in in uh, resistant, antibiotic-resistant wound infections in hospitals now. That's what's being studied by, by surgeons. And a lot of the studies for essential oils are actually in journals um, for, surger- for surgeons. So have you seen those little peppermint-infused, like, uh, wash-wipe things in the packets? Would that be a good alternative, or is that just as bad as the rest of it? I mean, I think it's okay. I haven't seen that particular thing, but I mean, I have like a, I think that's fine. I mean, I think something like that is fine. I think essential oils are like, if you want something antimicrobial and you don't have a bar of soap, like that's what I would have with me is a little bit of thieves oil, which is like a blend of, you know, four cinnamon, clove, you know, lemon and like tea tree, you know, something like that. I would just use a little tiny bit of that. And I think that that's sufficient. There's really no need to kind of go all out, you know? Okay, we're going to just be taking a short break and we'll be back with Dr. Maya. This is fabulous, so stay tuned and we will see you in a couple minutes. Helping you make informed decisions for your life. This is Voice America Health & Wellness. Are you sick of striving for a vision of healthy that just doesn't exist? Join the club. Expert health coaches Andrea Beeman, Michelle Fenighaus, and Lisa Lutan are more than just voices on the radio. They're here to help you make real change in real life. Join their Facebook community, HealthyViewRadio.com, to ask questions, get behind the scenes, and receive early access to special offers and events. Again, you can connect at HealthyViewRadio.com. Remember to subscribe to Healthy View Radio on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast. Have you figured out what to attract in your life in order to make it successful? There are those who can and those who can learn. Your intensified energy gives you willpower to move the bar forward and be happy. Happy people spread their energy throughout their lives, and once they figure it out, go on to be successful at nearly everything they set their mind to. Join host Ellen Morano and her panel of guest experts and co-hosts on Generate Massive Energy for a Fulfilling Life, Thursdays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern, on Voice America Health and Wellness. 
Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You're listening to Andrea Beeman, Lisa Lutan, and Michelle Fenighaus with Healthy View Radio. Do you have a question or comment for the show? Please call us right now at 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. Or send us an email from our Voice America radio page. You'll find connections to reach any of the hosts there. Now, back to Healthy View Radio. Welcome back to Healthy View Radio. This is the place to be every Thursday at noon Eastern to get the wellness information without all the bullcrap. My name is Andrea Beeman, and today we've been talking about the benefits of connecting with nature and dirt and how it can help support our health in so many ways. With us today is Dr. Maya. She is the founder of the Terrain Institute, where she teaches terrain medicine, earth-based programs for transformational healing. She's a lifelong student of ethnobotany, which you're going to have to explain to Michelle what it mm. is. <laughs> it's plant, <laughs> plant botany, uh, plant healing, and the sacred. And her current book is The Dirt Cure, which I'm totally loving. So, Doc, I started reading your book last month, and I just love it. I love it. I want to put it on a sandwich and eat it. It's <laughs> common sense information. And on, like, on one page, Uh, page 134. I'll just read this for you folks. Uh, It says, when our soil flourishes, our food flourishes, and we flourish. We know proteins, vitamins, and minerals are nutrients. In a very real sense, dirt is a nutrient too. So I want to talk about the cooking perspective. I love that in your book, you suggest cooking foods with the peel on. So I learned about this 20 years ago when I was studying macrobiotics or 25 years ago. So can you explain to our viewers and our listeners what that does and why it's important? Sure. So the peel is actually like the interface between the outer world and the inner world. And so it's actually an area where a lot of nutrients kind of concentrate. And particularly what I was talking about before, that hormesis idea where like stressors come. So like the apple that's at the top of the tree gets the reddest, has the reddest skin. The reason why is because of UV radiation. So those stressors basically make them, uh, make the skin have more phytonutrients and make it tastier and also make it healthier. So the benefits of that are that then we, in, we ingest that and they act as nutrients, phytonutrients in our body causing little stresses in our body and causing our bodies to be healthier as well. Um, so a lot of the benefits and the bitterness is another thing is, is actually concentrated in the skin and bitters are actually incredibly, incredibly important for our health. Yeah. And you know, like in all of the, the culinary schools around the world, they teach the students to take all the peels off for aesthetic purposes mm-hmm. But it's not, it's not for health purposes, right? So for health, it's best to leave the peels on and the skins on for most, the majority of stuff. Yeah, I mean, I think the flavor is better with peel always. I prefer it, but I think sometimes texture, you know, if you're, if you're making something, sometimes texture with the peel is, is where it's an issue. But definitely like for the raw foods, um, you know, or putting something in soup, I don't understand why we peel things to put it in soup because you're really losing so many of the nutrients. And actually that's like the best and most flavorful part. 
And can I just say, this is another example of how being lazy is a win-win. <laughs> I don't peel anything. I don't even peel butternut squash. I mean, just eat it. And you save yourself a lot of time in the kitchen cooking. People say, oh, you cook everything. That must take you so much time. But I'm not, I'm not doing it the way they teach in the culinary schools. Mm-hmm. Right. Thank God. That's why you're, you're healthy and your kids are doing well. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I haven't gone crazy because I'm in the kitchen 400 hours a day, you know, <laughs> down and dirty. So, you know, in your book, you talk a lot about um, people reconnecting back to the earth and back to the soil. Uh, So I I want you to um, explain maybe your your top five ways that we can get society connected back to the earth and back to the soil in a healthier way. I mean, I think there's a lot of easy ways to do it. And then there's some bigger ways. So I think like for one thing, growing food, um, even herbs, if you live in an apartment, I think that's just like, you don't have to be good at it. You don't have to be an expert at it. You just have to go do it. I mean, you can grow flowers, you can grow food, but getting into the getting into the natural world and like kind of experiencing that miracle. Um, I'm a big fan of just walking or hiking out in the in you know a park or where you wherever you have kind of wild land. I think that's very powerful and um, tree hugging. <laughs> I love tree hugging. <laughs> I'm, I'm very serious about this. Like I do that all the time. I go trail running and I usually like post it on my, my Instagram story when I, when I do it most days a week. And um, very often, like you will catch me, you know, with my trees, hugging trees or, or hang out with trees. And, um, you know, it's like, it's a, it's a real thing. There's a lot of benefits. And on my website, I'm about to put out a whole, um, a whole blog about the benefits of that. Um, So I think those three things are huge. I think then like really it has to do with like unscheduling your life a little bit. So that's just like, I know it sounds, you know, oh my God, like how can I do that? But really like, again, back to Michelle's lazy idea, I think like, you know, it's like, actually, yes, you can do less. And what you have to do, just take it outside. So like, if you're, you know, if you need to be on your computer, go sit on a rock or go put like a blanket down and sit in the grass outside instead of, you know, or next to a tree rather than being in your house in your, you know, little AC space or whatever. I think that's a big one. And then I think like I'll put one kind of wish out there for the number five, which is like, let's start getting schools to make much more outdoor curriculum. Because um, right now, like kids get 30 minutes to eat lunch max, which is ridiculous. And that's often to get to where they're eating lunch and to clean up and get back, you know, so they're eating in just like a few minutes, really. And their recess is not every day sometimes. And if it is every day, it's usually very brief and they don't have physical education every day. So I think like we, we, everything we know is that children do better with more time outside and we all do. So starting for kids, I think like we're the ones who get to control that to some degree. And we need to all be speaking up and say like, we want like a few hours a day of kids being outdoors. We want curriculum to integrate like what leaves go with what trees or like if you're learning about bugs, like let's learn about bugs outside rather than like being indoors and being looking at, you know, those, what are they called? Smart boards or whatever. Yeah. So so speaking of leaves and trees, can you explain to Michelle what ethnobotany is? So (laughs) ethnobotany is, is basically studying how other cultures use plants. 
And so as, as medicine, as food, as sort of spiritual. So learning about that, our, our culture, I would say we, we don't use plants in as spiritual a way, but most other cultures actually, you know, do. So there's sort of the physical, emotional, um, medicinal, spiritual ways that we use plants. So that's kind of what I, I like to study and um, learn about as I travel the world. Fascinating. Yeah, and also there is a big disconnect for us not connecting to plants on the spiritual, and that was when um, uh, Christianity, I don't want to get into religion, but when they took control of the spirit and they left medicine to the the, uh, doctors, they said, okay, uh, we'll control the spirit, you guys control the body, and then anyone that was dealing with spirit was a witch, right? Or they were hung or they were burned or they were connecting to the earth in that kind of way. They were considered, it was considered witchcraft. So it was really squashed for a long time and it's now making a resurgence. Thank God. Well, and yeah, actually, this is actually what in my, in my school I teach about, which is all the things that were kind of burned with the witches. Um, How can we start to talk about that? Because there really is an art and a science in everything from ethnobotany to, um, you know, kind of how do we communicate with the earth? How does the earth communicate with us to things like numerology? I mean, there's a lot herbalism, you know, midwifery, all of these different things. So to kind of learn about these physical, emotional and spiritual ways of healing. So that is actually kind of my new, my new passion and project. Oh, that's so exciting. Uh, Lisa, did you want to say something? You're just no, I was just giving a thumbs up. (laughs) (laughs) I want to say something, though. Dr. Meyer, why do you think these practices fell to the women? Like, is there a feminist issue underlying some of this? Well, I mean, I think there is a feminist, feminist issue in terms of the consolidation of control and why it was less appeal, you know, why they wanted to squash it. But no, I mean, I think we all, both men and women have this in us, um, but it's really like kind of that feminine energy. So women tend to embody it more than men do because we have that kind of creative force in us, which um, a lot of these practices were, were women-based practices. It's true. Um, and I think, you know, it definitely is making a comeback for sure. Thank God. My husband was talking to me this morning and he said, hey, you know, he's doing this Eckhart Tolle thing. Um, I forgot what it's called. And he goes, hey, did you know that Eckhart Tolle said that women are have a closer connection to the universe and to God? (laughs) Sounds good. (laughs) I said, we're receptive. (laughs) We can't pick up on everything. Yeah. 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 So uh, is that what what's new for you is a connect it's a new part of your school. Can you tell people what's new and exciting for you and where pe- where are our folks can learn more about you? Yeah, absolutely. So what's new and exciting is actually launching this school which we're doing this fall. We're opening applications for people to start studying kind of how we can learn about, you know, and I I use the word magic loosely, but um you know, kind of basically how can we start to learn from the earth and the magic of the earth and kind of connect with our own intuition. Um, And there's a lot of really beautiful history and science as well as kind of an art to it. So that people can find out about at my website, drmaya.com, which is D-R-M-A-Y-A.com. And they can check out my stuff on Instagram. I'm pretty active on Instagram and um, on my Facebook page. So Dr. Maya, she treats. Come, come follow me. 
That's fantastic. Well, I want to thank you for your time and your energy and your femininity and your wisdom and your witchcraftery <laughs> and everything else you got yeah. going on. <laughs> well, thank you. Okay. So, ladies, my little dirty girls, uh, what are your top takeaways from today's show? I think that it comes back again and again to us that less is more. You know, in our crazy, complicated lives where we're trying to do too much, where we're trying to take uh, shortcuts on everything, it's just really hurting us in the long run. And if we can go back to our roots, you know, pun intended, back into the earth, back into eating real food, that's the key to living a healthy, happy life. You know, what I heard loud and clear today from Dr. Maya was this idea of doing less. And in a world where everyone, I'm going to say particularly women, feel like we have to do more, 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 we're never doing enough. What a breath of fresh air to know that by doing less, not only can we improve the health of our children who are now playing outside, we can be lazier in the kitchen because we're not peeling all our darn carrots. And we don't have to fix everything. It's okay for the body to encounter some bacteria or a harsh, even just emotionally a hardship. Like it's okay. We don't have to fix everything. That should come as a huge relief to many women. Yeah. And I'm excited that we now have practitioners that are bringing back ancient healing rituals and medicine and connecting us back to the earth because there's been a huge disconnect for a long time. And I think that it has been traumatizing the people, the earth people that live here on the planet, as well as traumatizing the plants and the animals. You know, like um, we're like this human beings, I hate to say it, we're like a horrible virus (laughs) that needs to be kind of wiped out a little bit, right, to call the population. But this new resurgence of old medicine that is coming back, and Dr. Maya called it magic, but there is this magic that is missing. The magic of being alive, the magic of being on the planet, the magic of being in, in this human experience is gone. And um, I remember when I was um, having my ayahuasca journey 15 years ago, the, you know, the shaman said that the plants told them, right? The plants talk to them. So we're, we've lost all of that, and it's coming back now, uh, which, which is a good thing. So I just want to read something from Dr. Meyer's book that, you know, one of my favorite philosophers, uh, Thoreau, love him. Uh, if he was alive, he would totally be my boyfriend. Uh, <laughs> he said, live in each season as it passes, breathe the air, drink the drink, taste the fruit, and resign yourself to the influence of the earth. That, to me, is fantastic. Uh, okay, so... Uh, For those of you that missed our show today, you can watch the recording on iTunes, of course, and you can always check out the video on YouTube. And if you want to interact with us live every week, you hop on HealthyViewRadio.com at 12 noon Eastern, where you can watch us recording the show and you could put in your uh, information and your feedback. I mean, not today, but (laughs) every other day normally. Today it didn't work. (laughs) I I think they might want to listen on iTunes instead of watch on iTunes, but small technology. (laughs) Yes, my technology is, you know, not the brain for it. (laughs) I'm I'm out hugging the trees in Central Park. (laughs) So yes, listen to us on iTunes, watch us on YouTube and on HealthyViewRadio.com. And uh, also leave us a review, healthyviewradio.com forward slash review. We love your comments. We love to hear from you. We love your reviews. And we love that you show up every week for us uh, and for this information. So thank you, everybody. And we will see you next week. Bye. 
Thank you for tuning in to Healthy View Radio. Please join Andrea Beeman, Lisa Lutan, and Michelle Fennighouse again for another fun and insightful edition of our show. We're live again next Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time and 12 noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. See you soon.